this episode, I talked to my friend Megan. In the year where we all dealt with a lot of uncertainty due to the COVID-19 pandemic, Megan has dealt with a level of uncertainty that is hard for me to fathom. She got diagnosed with breast cancer at the beginning of the pandemic in March of 2020. So in this conversation, we talk all about it. What was it like to get diagnosed? What was the process of actually booking a surgery like, given that so many surgeries were getting canceled? What was the recovery process like? And what are some major changes that she has made in her life after the fact? This was by far my favorite conversation I've had in this podcast. And the reason is what Megan went through is the ultimate human experience. By listening to her story, you can just relate to the different emotions that she had as she was battling breast cancer and ultimately beating it. Hello, Megan. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you, Payman? I'm doing good. So I think we have talked about this. And the reason that I was interested in talking to you is I think all of us have had an interesting 2020. The last year has been interesting for all of us. But when I heard your story, it looks like yours was a year that you're probably never going to forget. And it was a year that you went through a lot, but it looks like you have come out of it strong. So I would love to talk about that to you and, and hear from you what the past year has been like. Does that sound good? Yeah, that sounds great. Okay. All right. So where do we start? So where do we set the frame so that everyone is caught up on, on who Megan is, what was Megan like at the beginning of pandemic, and then what happened? Okay, wonderful. Because um, there's definitely a pre and post Megan. There's like a line in the sand with some of the stuff that's happened in my life this past year. So prior to the pandemic, uh, I was an HR professional. I was the head of HR for a national law firm with a bunch of offices across Canada. Pretty busy professional role, uh, lots of responsibility. Uh, I lived on my own in Kitsilano. I had just turned 40. I was at a really exciting point in my life. I think I had like a lot of clarity around my future path. I felt really good about where I was at. I had a wonderful 40th birthday party in November of 2019 um, and was feeling really good and really hopeful about like the future and just really feeling great about entering that, that decade with a lot of clarity, I would say. Um, then, as we all know, uh, we started to hear about the hints of the pandemic, right, at the beginning of 2020. And it was, you know, something that I was really focused on from a professional sense, from a professional context, because I was thinking about, do our people need to be working remotely and working in law firms, they tend to be more change averse environments. So it was, you know, how are we going to deal with change magnitude, with change management of this magnitude? And I had some connections in the US, so I was hearing a lot about their experience and recognizing that this, this virus that we were hearing about, some people were paying attention, some people were downplaying it. I had a sense that you know this could turn into a very big deal and we were going to need to have people work remotely uh, on pretty short order. So I was you know, feeling really professionally engaged, right? I'm the type of person who... Um, I don't know if it's a hero complex where you sort of like to be a part of the solution or where you like to be able to help people. And there was this crisis, but I was, you know, part of a senior leadership team that was going to be figuring out the solution and bringing some clarity to people and helping people feel safe and in the face of uncertainty. So that's, that's sort of the backdrop for a walk to work one Wednesday morning. It was a sunny Wednesday morning 
I was working around the clock trying to figure all this stuff out and I was getting my exercise in on my on my walk to work and I got a phone call and uh, I answered the call and it was from my doctor and she was calling me from vacation which is generally not a good sign when your doctor is calling you from vacation and it was this sort of crackly international phone line and I could barely make out what she had to say. Uh, but what I did hear was, Megan, you have breast cancer. And we don't know what stage it's at. We don't know how big it is, but we do know that it's invasive. I remember picking up on that word invasive and knowing that it wasn't a good word that you wanted to hear within the context of the diagnosis. And she said, you know, normally the BC cancer treatment protocols mean that you should get some sort of treatment within a month. But I don't know what to tell you. The medical system is at risk right now with this COVID thing. I can't make any commitments. Uh, you should go home, make sure that you are safe and they're gonna call you when they're gonna call you. Um, so that's like a penny dropping moment for me that, that I will always, always, always remember. Um, I, I remember um, feeling really shocked and I, I started crying. I was in the middle of a busy street in Kitsilano and kind of didn't, didn't really know what to do. Um, and yeah, I, I turned around and I went home. And as it turns out, I spent a lot of time there over the course of the next several weeks, which is another piece of the story. Yeah. So this was uh, for context, what date? So you said it was a Wednesday, but when was it? it was March 18th, 2020. So right at the beginning of pandemic. So yeah, I, I don't think Canada had even gone full lockdown, but we had started to hear fully about it or maybe March 17th is yeah when things got started getting real. So so I, I mean, just to recap what you said, you are in this position in a leadership position in an international law firm. You're dealing with this huge project of how are we gonna deal with this pandemic that's coming? You're on your way to work and you get a call that you have breast cancer. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that must be insane yeah it was um sort of unbelievable right and yeah it was it was the point in the pandemic where you know we didn't have a lot of information mm -hmm. right and there's like rumors going around that you know you can catch this through the air coming through your door and that you have to like wipe down all your groceries right it was it was the point that there was so much unknown and uncertainty and so much anxiety um and i think me you know the combination when you're diagnosed with cancer, you feel out of control already, right? Like that's a diagnosis that people don't want to hear. It can mean it can mean a lot of different things. So you feel out of control in that way. And then there's this other element that Canada has this medical system where you feel so protected and you feel so taken care of, but you're being told that that system that you've always taken for granted that you can't actually rely on it, right? So the combination of the two, like fair to say, I went into a state of some pretty extreme anxiety. And I think what happened first is, is shock. Um, that day I turned around and I, I went home and I think I called my mom and I called my partner and then I called the office and I told them, I told my colleague that I just got this diagnosis and I needed an hour to pull myself together. And then, and then I'd be at the office and um, she ended up I think it wasn't like really landing with me. She ended up speaking to somebody else on the senior leadership team who called me and was like, Megan, I don't think you should be coming into the office today. And you might need to think about the fact that you shouldn't be coming into the office at all. Um, because at that point, I don't think it had fully landed with me that I was like 99% sure I was going to be getting a surgery, right? And I can't be 
catching a virus and um, you know, preventing my chance to, to get a surgery to find out what's going on and to get everything taken care of. So yeah, it was, it was, it was shocking. And it took a while for me to really like wrap my head around. I have breast cancer. You just go from your normal every day um, to being sort of thrust into this whole new world. Um, so it was my colleagues that helped me understand that I should probably be working from home, that I needed to be a bit more careful. And that was really, really good advice. Um, I took it to the extreme because I did feel so much anxiety. Um, I, I opted not to see anybody. I opted not to see my partner or my mom. Um, I was really, really worried about catching something that would mess up my chances at, at getting my surgery on time. And again, at this point, I didn't have context for what stage I was or, or how big this cancer was. So your mind tends to go to worst case scenarios and <laughs> when you're by yourself in a 630 square foot apartment focused on all of this, your mind does go to some of those places, right? So um, in retrospect, maybe I was a little bit over the top in being mm -hmm. completely alone, but that was what made me feel safe when my whole world um, felt out of control. That was, that was the only thing that I could control at that point, um, knowing that I wasn't exposing myself. So you were dealing with a lot of unknowns there, right? Like, I think we were all dealing with the unknown because like what we know about coronavirus today is obviously significantly more than what we knew a year ago around March. So at that time, I remember like no one knew what to deal with this disease was. So you don't know what's going on with that. And you don't know what's going on with your diagnosis of breast cancer. So you add those two unknowns and I can't just imagine the uncertainty that you feel and mm -hmm. not knowing. So you literally walk back home and then you never left your apartment until no, for 32 days. Yeah. For 32 days. Um, yeah. And I'm lucky my surgery was supposed to be even later. There's a few things that, that changed because of mm -hmm. COVID and it's, it's kind of strange, but in, in a way, my treatment plan ended up being impacted in a positive way because of COVID, because there was a bunch of amazing cancer doctors that were really concerned about um, the treatment of cancer patients being impacted and that really went to bat to make a bunch mm -hmm. of procedures happen really quickly. Um, so yeah, it, it was 32 days um, until my surgery. And I remember thinking, I mean, time goes by very slowly when, um, when you are um, waiting to find out information about what's happening with your health. And you know, I wasn't able to have hugs from my friends or my family or my partner. I wasn't able to go for a wine night with my friends to have a good cry. I wasn't going to exercise classes, like all of the things that I would normally do to be outlets for just normal life stressors, let alone something really big happening that wasn't available to me. So you can imagine time just really felt like it was really, really drawn out. Um, I had to dig like really, really deep uh, into grounding practices and I'm pretty good at that generally. Like I have some pretty good self-care practices, um, but I really had to double down on that. Um, I ordered a spin bike and had it delivered to my house. So I was spinning constantly and like looking outside at the rose bush. <laughs> um, I signed up for a intensive mindfulness meditation program, which ended up being something that was very, very transformative for me. Um, and then I did a bunch of things that were less productive, like binging on Tiger King so that like I didn't have to focus on what was going on. Well, we all world, did. So, right? yeah, yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. But when you were at, so like, I, I, I'm just trying to understand like the thought 
frame of mind that you had at the beginning? So like you were told it's not clear whether you're going to be able to get the surgery due to the COVID situation. And you were kind of like just waiting to hear back what's going on. Like you had no expectation on when you could possibly get the surgery. So, or... so within, so I got the call and then they told me they didn't, they didn't know when I could expect to hear from someone. It ended up being that within like a week I did hear from someone. And that's when I found out that I was going to need some sort of surgery. So that was sort of the first, oh man, I'm going to need some sort of surgery. And I was given a timeline of two months for that. Um, and then through a series of different protocol changes that happened because of COVID and without getting into too, too much detail about um, the mechanics of how some of these treatments work, um, they ended up telling me that it wasn't going to be the two months, that it would be the 32 days that I would get, that I would get the surgery. And the surgery would be may or may not be my final end path, but it would be, um, it would tell me what was going on. They would be able to tell me whether the cancer had spread. They would be able to give me a sense of what my treatment plan would look like going forward. Mm -hmm. Like basically what you're dealing with, which is the big question when you get diagnosed with something like this. Yeah, yeah. So so you had a, you had a general idea soon enough on when the date was. It wasn't like you were kind of every day waiting to see when it would be, and then you found out last minute that you're gonna get the surgery. Yes, yes, correct. Okay. Within a week, I knew that it was gonna be, at first I thought I was dealing with two months and then eventually I knew it was gonna be about a month. All right, so then if you were to summarize those 32 days, you said spinning, Tiger King, mm -hmm. did you just um, FaceTime a lot of your, I mean, again, it's just it's just so hard to think of that situation because the timing is, is just a crazy coincidence. Mm -hmm. the timing that this mm -hmm. happened right that was mm -hmm. the peak where all of us were so scared of COVID mm -hmm. and just not being able to see your loved ones as you hear this life-changing news like mm -hmm. this I, I just can't imagine what those 32 days must have been like yeah and payment to be honest like when I think about this entire experience it's those 32 days it's like the toughest to think about because my frame of mind was in such a difficult place like that uncertainty and lack of control and fear like just like flat out fear to a degree that um I'd never felt before that this whole process that was that was the hardest point um I was working I was working from home so there was some pretty intense stuff going on so you know in a way Perhaps that was good that it gave me a bit of a focus to be involved in some of the things that were happening at work. So there was that. There was the spin bike. Um, I did a meditation course, an intensive meditation course. Um, I started having like friends and family. I was in a little apartment that was like four stories high and I was on the third floor and they would just like come and hang out outside my apartment. Uh, and it was March, so it was pretty cold. And I would um, sit inside the sliding glass door because I was I was pretty paranoid about being close to people. So I would require a lot of distance. Um, and it kind of almost felt like when my partner would come over, it almost felt like Romeo and Juliet because I had these like bars on my patio. So it was like we were looking at each other through bars. But I mean, my friends and my family were like incredible. They would come and visit me from outside. My girlfriends immediately had like FaceTime scheduled with everyone. They knew about every single appointment that was happening. And there would be like a FaceTime after every single tiny little appointment or discussion with a doctor. Like I could not have asked for better support. 
I learned about myself that I like expressing is um, helpful for me. Apparently, I haven't stopped talking about this situation because I'm talking to you about it today. Well, I um, asked you to talk about it now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, I think that was a part of my process. Like I, I remember, I don't know, like day two into diagnosis or something, I was on my patio and a neighbor walked by and I found myself saying, hi, I just got diagnosed with breast cancer, just like blurted it out. And it was this like, oh, good morning, Megan. How are you? Right. Um, and then kind of like the whole building knew, right. So like people would be like walking past my patio and they'd like leave me a note or they'd like um, leave me a book that they thought that would be like helpful for this time. Um, or they would like ask if I needed help with groceries. Um, yeah, there was like incredible support all, all around me. And it was a mix of productive and not productive activities uh, during, during those days. Yeah. <laughs> Is there any stranger touch like from your neighbors that, that stand out to you? Like from the books and from the help that they offered anything that stands out like that you were just like wow i mean that that one situation that i just described right, where i yeah. like clearly i don't know if overshare is the right you know but it's a bit strange for someone yeah. to just pop <laughs> up on their patio and just, like yeah, someone's yeah. walking their dog and you know it was like there was a hidden message there where I clearly needed to like talk and needed support to end. Um, I didn't name that. I just said something else and, you know, she could have quickly acknowledged it and kept walking. Right. But she clearly picked up on the fact that I was like in need and yeah, she was someone that would like continually check in on me. She was one of the ones she would send me some like spiritual book recommendations and she was a personal trainer. So she was doing remote training. So she like invited me to remote training sessions, um, knowing that exercise is probably going to be good for, for mental state. Um, I had another neighbor who would like take out my garbage. <laughs> um, I would just leave it outside my door. What a brutal job, right. To like take out somebody else's garbage. Um, he was amazing. Yeah. Everyone around me was incredible. That's like, I love hearing those stories, you know, like, especially like in Vancouver, you usually don't hear any sort of neighbors interacting with each other or doing anything nice. And, and it's really heartwarming to hear how like the whole community around you that may have not even been a community previous, mm -hmm. previous to this came together. Mm -hmm, for sure. Yeah. And I had friends that like every night them and, you know, my one friend, I'm thinking of her and her partner would like call me over dinner and I'm sure her partner would be like super bored. I was not fun to talk to. I was depressed and panicked half the time, right? Like I was not exactly a ray of sunshine during that, during that period. Um, but yeah, I just think a lot of people that like really empathized with the isolation that I was going through and like, I didn't feel alone. That's the best way to put it. I didn't feel alone. All right, you get over the 32 days. What was it like leaving the house after 32 days and going to the, what was that procedure like? Like, how did you, how yeah. did you actually get to the hospital? Yeah, so that, like that happened pretty quickly. So I actually, I did think that it was gonna be the full two months for a long time. And it, then it was like, all of a sudden I got a call and it was like, you're going for surgery next Tuesday. Um, so that happened really quickly and it was like quickly needing to think about things like um, meal prep for afterwards knowing that like my mobility would be limited um, I 
yeah, I had to think about like my aftercare. I didn't want anyone to help me, but then my friends convinced me that my mom probably needed to be there to help me. And they convinced me that it was maybe a little bit of a bigger deal than what I was giving, um, than what I was anticipating. I had one of my best friends who is very careful generally and had been very cautious, but we'd known since the beginning that she was gonna be like my main person for doctor's visits. So she'd been like ultimately careful. So she was ready to go. She'd been on notice. She'd been limiting her contact with other people. Um, one of my best friend's husbands and her husband is also a really good friend of mine. We've known each other since grade eight. Um, he is a Vancouver firefighter. So on the day before my surgery, it's like a Monday night, my surgery was on a Tuesday. It's like in pajamas, looking crazy, like completely disheveled. And my friend's husband, and who's also my friend, uh, texted me and said, Megan, come outside onto your patio. And when I came outside, there was like two or three Vancouver um, fire trucks all lined up on the street and they were all had their sirens going and they were all like saluting me. I feel a little emotional telling this story. Um, and that was huge because I did not feel strong. Um, I had not left the house. I had so much anxiety around leaving the house. Um, you know, seeing these people that had no choice but to work given everything that was going on with COVID that, you know, truly like heroes, there was something really incredible about feeling like you could like access their strength. Like I could, like I didn't have it, but like that act and like sitting and standing and watching them from the patio, like I thought about all of their bravery and all of their strength. And in that action of showing up for me in my time of need, it was like, I was able to like tap into that bravery. It just gave me this like massive pump up of like, uh, if they can go do these brave things, like I can leave my house to go to the hospital tomorrow and go get my surgery, right? It was just this, this wonderful pump up. That is an amazing story. What a surprise. Just come outside and you see a couple of fire trucks out. Oh, that's, yeah, that is amazing. I love the, I love humans being nice, you know, like humans caring about each other is like one of the nicest things to hear about. And, and sounds like you had a lot of support. I so did, yeah. I then did. that's the night before. And then you finally make it to the surgery. You check in. Yeah. I'm, um, I'm making you remember all the details, but uh, yeah. just just curious how, how that went. And then how did you find out how the surgery actually turned out? Yeah, that day is incredible. It was like the day started at like 6.15 at one hospital with one procedure. And then you go to another hospital and then it's getting, a re it's getting ready and then sitting around and waiting, which is really, really tough. Um, I remember the doctors being really good because it was COVID protocols. They were like head to toe in these like suits and they were really good about coming and saying you know when you're drugged up you might not recognize like we might look a little bit bizarre right because it, it is kind of weird right like you're having surgery and you're looking around and people are in like head to toe space gear so it was really thoughtful of them that they thought to like advise you in advance um i remember a lot of waiting i had like a set of mantras that i was like saying to myself all day just like over and over and over um, you know, I was on some drugs, so I don't remember. Um, I don't remember. I remember being wheeled in and that's about it. And, um, I remember being in pain when I woke up 
and there was a little bit of an adjustment period with like painkillers and stuff. And my friend, so my friends are all waiting because I ended up going into surgery last and then my surgery lasted a couple hours. So everyone is like, what is happening to her? There'd been like no updates. I didn't have my purse on me or anything like that. And then when I got out, it did take a little while to figure out the pain stuff. So I didn't get um, let go immediately. And so my friend came to pick me up and I think I came out in a wheelchair and I said, um, well, I don't recommend doing that and started laughing. <laughs> that, that's what I, that's what I said. Um, yeah, I was in like, kind of like a giggly mood. Like apparently I sat in the back joke in the back seat of the car. And I was like cracking jokes about how it was like kind of rough and not a good situation. Um, I should have gone to sleep right away with all the drugs that I was on. But when I got home, my mom was there. I like didn't go to sleep. I think I was maybe like a little bit like wired from the whole experience. Um, I'm 40 years old and I've never felt so happy to have my mom. I'm really glad that my friends um, convinced me that I needed my mom there because I did need my mom there. And then again, it turned out to be a really special experience for me and my mom too, because me and my my mom hadn't seen each other for 32 days. And I was I was raised by a single mother. I'm her only daughter. So we have a pretty special relationship, right? So um, yeah, that was a really nice bonding time for her because I think when you're an adult parent, your kids don't need you in the same way, right? But um, I really did need her. So that was, yeah, that was a really connective experience. We had like a sleepover for like a week, pretty much. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. So you come home, yeah, like what better? Yeah, I think anyone would choose their mom, right? Like having mm -hmm. their mom right after such a heart. And then how long does it take for you to hear back? I mean, do they tell you right away what the outcome of the surgery was or how does no, that work? It was, I feel like it was like a two weeks or something like that. So yeah, you're really like on baited. Well, you're, you're healing and you're focused on that and that takes a while, but you, you know, everyone wants to hear what the results of the surgery are. Um, I, I knew that the report was ready from the surgeon and they told me I could pick it up before I had an appointment to debrief about it. And I did pick it up and I did peek at it, which was kind of risky because it's so technical and you probably really shouldn't be trying to interpret that on your own, but I'd done like a fair amount of research along the way. And I did, I remember peeking at it and thinking, like, I think this is a good news scenario in, in the scheme of things. Like I had a feeling or I had, I can't remember what it was that I saw, but I had some indication that it wasn't like worst case scenarios. Um, but yeah, I did need to talk to the surgeon. So when I spoke to the surgeon, um, they found out that it was, it was early stage. Um, so it was caught like quite early. So best case scenario and plug here for all women to get mammograms starting at 40. They're not necessarily offered to you starting at 40 in BC. Um, doctors don't have to offer them to you until you're 50. But my understanding is if you ask for them, uh, they have to give them to you at 40. So, so plug there because I get really nervous when I think about that cancer having grown for 10 years and me not getting my mammogram until I turn 50. Um, but it was, it was caught really early. It had not spread uh, I did have some choices that I had to make. So I, I could either have a further surgery, which would involve um, reconstruction and, and that whole path, or I could take the option of doing radiation treatments. And it's just a really, really tough thing that you have to 
some people have a gut feeling about, you know, I would definitely do one thing or the other. I didn't, I had to like really weigh out my options and like learn a little bit about both paths, but I went, I decided to opt down the path of, of radiation, kind of a crappy choice to have to make, but, um, but, but necessary, right. In terms of um, prevention, preventing it from coming back. So then that became like the next thing, like it's weird in the cancer journey, you're like thrown into this world. Um, and for me, it was like dealing with one thing at a time, right? So I dealt with the surgery and then I was like, okay, now it's gonna be radiation. So it was that period of time, I have to say, be remiss to not say this is lots of relief, like finding out that it was early stage and that I didn't need to go through chemotherapy, which can be really, really hard on people and be a really, really hard path. Like there was, there was a lot of relief about that. There was a lot of gratitude about that. There's also even like this weird, hmm, guilt um because some people have a harder path than you and like you get this title of like having breast cancer and then being a breast cancer survivor but you had it was hard but it could have been a lot worse and some women have it a lot worse so it was it took me a long time to reconcile the fact that I was allowed to be both grateful that it was caught at an early stage but also say that the experience really sucked and shook up my life like it took me a long time to really accept that both were allowed to be true you know that must be yeah that's like it, everything is kind of out of your control and yeah i, I mean I, I just can't imagine i'm sure you've had many different thoughts right that's probably mm -hmm. one of the main ones that you've had but mm -hmm. but yeah well, I, I am happy that it was a, the relatively easy mm -hmm. uh, procedure in the long term, but I think the timing of it is, 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 just, is just crazy. Mm -hmm. So then how, how long was that period that you had to, like after the surgery? So until I had you a were... few weeks between like, no, between like surgery and radiation, there was maybe six weeks. So there's like, I don't know, three, four weeks of like physical recovery. And then... And then I started like slowly doing some like exercise and stuff again, because I wanted to be strong for radiation. There was always this period of like getting strong for surgery, then getting mm -hmm. strong for radiation. Like I was quite focused on that. Um, I had this weird perception of radiation that it was like, because um, it is very quick, right? Like you go in daily, I had to go for 20 days every single day to BC cancer, but the process itself is quite quick. And what they talk to you about the most is that it makes you tired and it has a cumulative effect so you get more tired as it goes on it like builds um I had this like perception that you know I would do things like you know go for a long walk in the morning and then go for my radiation in the afternoon and I would drink green smoothies and it would be this like time of being really focused on myself and my health. And it would be like, no big deal. It was like, I got through the surgery. This radiation is going to be no big deal. That was my perception. Um, my mom drove me to BC cancer the first day of my radiation. I was like normal talking to her when I went. And when I came out, I was like completely shut down and I didn't want to talk to her. And she brought me home and I just, I didn't want to talk and I asked her to be left alone and I like completely, completely shut down. Um, 
And what ended up happening when I was in radiation is I, like, I, I think that's when I hit a depression. It took me a while to acknowledge that. And I'm someone who accesses supports throughout my life. Like I, I um, have accessed psychologists throughout my life and, um, and I, I did so during this whole journey. So I was working with a psychologist and I remember explaining to her like how I was feeling and she was like, it makes sense, Megan, like you've just been diagnosed with cancer and you've been on this crazy journey. Like just, yeah, like let it happen. Like let yourself be depressed. Stop trying to be, I think I was trying to be like the hero or like the strong girl through it, throughout, like I got this. Um, I think I shared with you when we first talked, the Toastmaster in me is like, this will be a great speech. Like I just wanted to get to like the end game, but I wasn't, I was trying to like avoid the actual shit and suffering that you have to go through. Um, and I couldn't, like when I got to the radiation process, it became pretty clear. Um, I think everything just like caught up on me and, and it's tough. You're going to, as much as the physical treatment is not hard on you, you're going to be cancer every day. You're seeing people suffering. You have this reminder of what's happened. There's this weird machine doing weird things to your body that you don't quite understand. Like it was just, it was just a lot. Um, and it wasn't something that I could like easily swipe under the rug. Yeah. Uh, I, I find the fact that you, you were thinking about a Toastmaster speech. It's <laughs> so hilarious. Uh, for anyone listening, Megan and I know each other through Toastmasters. And I've always looked up to you as a great speaker. So, um, all right. So now you're going through this period, you're working with a, a psychologist and they're basically saying, like embrace the moment. This is what you're going through. Don't try to think about the future. Yeah. And then you are, I mean, after I assume some period, the radiation is over. And what was that like? I mean, what was the tapering off effect like? Mm -hmm. So it gets, it gets worse. Right. So, yeah. and that's a really weird psychological thing too. Right. Cause with surgery, you have your surgery and then you get better. And I think we're used to that in like healing and mm -hmm. like, there's an event and then you get better. So it was, that was actually really backwards for me, right? The, the like, it's going to get worse. How, how bad is it going to get, right? So um, so by the end, you're like really quite tired and then there's like skin effects, right? Because it's, imagine like a very, very, very bad sunburn, right? So there's some physical healing that that has to happen. So that was, that was rough. And I knew that I was going to need a little bit of time. Like after it was not like radiation ends and you're better, right? Like there's like a healing process that, that comes from that. Um, and at a certain point I'd stopped working and I had been on a disability leave as well, because I knew that I really need to, to focus on my healing. So I was on a disability leave at this point. Um, so I was working with the psychologist. I'd also taken this intensive mindfulness program, right? So I was doing a lot of like pretty deep um, work on myself and understanding myself. And I think I'm someone who probably like tries to find meaning in different situations as well. So there'd been a lot of reflection work that I'd been doing through, through all of that. Um, and I was having, you know, some questions around what Megan wanted to do with the rest of her life. I had a great job, but I'd been at the same organization for 16 years, I'd been in my role for 10 years. I had some whispers about some things that I'm really passionate about that maybe I wanted to pursue. Um, 
so being kind of like the the a type person that I am I'm recovering from radiation and also like trying to get into planning mode and had a lot of good friends counseling and coaching me that like it's time for you to just like focus on your healing and then you'll figure that out so that was a real learning for me that you don't figure everything out all at once right that you need to let things unfold as they may um so yeah I think I went through the physical healing and then my mind kind of turned to like the back to work stuff right like I was through the the physical part um the the most urgent physical part and I ultimately decided that I wasn't going to go back to the job that I was at which was really, really tough. Um, I'd been at that organization for 16 years. Uh, they'd been incredibly supportive through the journey. My team had been holding holding the fort down during such a crazy time. You don't expect your HR leader to go off on a leave in the middle of a pandemic when a bunch of stuff is happening. They'd been incredible. So it was a really difficult decision for, for me to come to, um, let alone like the communication of that decision, like over the phone, not I saw them one day, like, like I was like working around the clock and then they never saw me again. And all this stuff has happened. Like it was just really bizarre and really surreal. Um, but ultimately I knew that I, that I, that I wanted to go in a different direction and I wasn't going to change my mind. And it was, are you going to go back knowing that this isn't the forever fit for you? <laughs> um, and disrupt everyone with reintegrating when they've been holding down the fort for a period of a few months, right? Or are you just going to um, use this point in time as a way to to part ways? And I decided, I decided the latter. So was that thought in your head previously? Like, I mean, that that this is not a forever fit, and and so on. And maybe I would, also I would that just, question, yeah. Yeah, I would describe it as like I had a whisper. Uh, I I had a whisper, and I think like so many things like you hear that you'll get different signs in different ways in your life that just get louder and louder and louder and it it feels like that's the case and then obviously going through this experience that you went through over the past year really made that whisper much louder in your to the point where it was clear to you that yeah because yeah it made I'll let the you speak. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, and you said something that like gave me like a really clear insight. What it also did is it made the whisper louder, but it gave me stillness because mm -hmm. we don't. I had a busy job, a professional job. I was like hustling all the time. I'm an ambitious A type personality. Um, I'd never. I don't know when I've had time to like hop out of that and like get really, really still. And because of what was going on in my life and because of the mindfulness training that I accessed, like I, I had time, like it's kind of bizarre. It was on a disability leave for a really shitty reason, but I had time to like get out of that grind and to get out of that hustle and to like, you can only really access those voices when you get really still. Right. And we don't always have the space in our life to get really still and to like, listen. Um, so that's the disability leave created the time for the stillness that allowed me to really tap into that voice. And once I did, it was very clear. It's, it's, it's just so crazy me to hear, uh, to, to hear your uh, story because again, like, I think you have 
like when I think of 2020, like a lot of the things that you talk about, I think a lot of us have gone through, but obviously in the mildest version possible, right? Mm-hmm. We all have had time to like kind of reflect because like the way I describe it, we all got sent to our room and we're like, think about what's happening. But for you was obviously levels and levels above that. So then this is the the exciting part. You This thought comes to your mind and you're like, I'm not going back to the organization. And so what do you decide to do and what are you doing these days? Yeah. Um, so, you know, there's the transition that happens from an organization that you're with for 16 years, like having to have a lot of conversations with people and um, figuring out what you want to communicate to, because some of this is really personal related to like what I went through. So that was like a whole thing. And then, and then I just remember thinking that I don't want to think about either cancer or what I'm going to do with the rest of my life for a little while. Like I had done so much thinking and analyzing and deep digging on these like really heavy topics. I was like, I need to like keep it light. Like <laughs> I need to like have some fun, right? Like I, I yeah. So there was, um, there was a really big party with like all of my friends from high school, which was like really incredible and such an amazing celebration because they'd all been such a big, big part of my support system. So there was like a pretty epic backyard party we were allowed to at that particular point last summer. Um, So that was incredible. Um, Celebration was definitely a big theme for a little while. Um, There is some some trips to friends' cabins that are like really special places for me. Um, I did a trip, a weekend trip with my mom. Um, I really craved special one-on-one time with my with my people like with my main people like I wanted to have connected time because we'd been disconnected through this crazy thing there was a trip away with my boyfriend and his kids and my best friend and her family there is a lot of like stopping to smell the roses um which is incredible and necessary and needed um there's a line from poetry there's this poem that I learned through all of this. And there's this line that I think about every single day and it makes like the hair on my arm stand up. And the poem is called A Summer's Day and it's really beautiful. It's by Mary Oliver. I encourage everyone to read it. But the, the last line, she says, tell me what is it that you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? And that line just like gets me fired up, right? And it reminds me of like, I've obviously learned the preciousness of life Um, I want my life to be like wild and joyful and purposeful and um, passionate. And um, yeah, I think I spent a couple months like thinking about that line and really like living into all the things that I wanted to do, which is incredible. And then eventually I had to like grow up and think about like what I was going to do with the rest of my life. Right. And I had to like put my feet on the ground and like enter the real world. Um, So I started my own HR consulting business in October of last year. So I'm working with small and medium-sized businesses that don't have a senior HR leader. So there's a real value proposition there in terms of me being able to come in and fill that gap. Also working with large organizations that do have an HR leader, but that need a hand with getting different projects and initiatives across the finish line. And then I now have the freedom to pursue my passions. And my passions had been around workplace culture and co-creating healthy workplace culture and well-being. You know, with everything that happened, you can imagine that I have like three exclamation points on those passions now. I'm more fired up about them than I than I ever was before. 
So I do, yeah, I do speaking and facilitation on, on mental health, on well-being. I talk a lot about psychological safety and the way that leaders need to show up in order to create environments where people feel good and where they feel like they can thrive. And I'm, I'm learning more than I have in a very long period. I went from being, I don't know, like kind of top of your game, right? Like head of HR for this big law firm, knew what I was doing, um, had a big team that reported into me. And now I'm a brand new entrepreneur that needs to figure out a lot of things for the first time. And it's scary and exciting and purposeful and like all the wonderful things. Like I feel like I'm really living life. That is amazing to hear. So would you say that the experience made you think that you want to like optimize different aspects of life? If that question makes sense. Like, were you just like, questioning like what was I optimizing my life before what do I want to optimize in my life now is that a fair mm -hmm. thing to say yeah I think like I've always thought a little bit like that like I have yeah. like an annual process where I like break up my life into like four different quadrants and I like assess like I oh my assess, like, let's yeah. hear about that if you're comfortable talking about it <laughs> you assess your life every year in four different yeah. quadrants yeah I look at like I have like professional goals I have like spiritual and relational goals I have physical goals social goals yeah I, I kind of like yeah I do a check on like how I'm doing and then I like I further sometimes like break up my year into like quarters like the first quarter will be more focused on professional and then the second quarter will be more on social. Yeah, I do I do a lot of those reflection practices. So I think that I'm I'm always something that's been really like mindful and intentional about mm -hmm. how I'm living my life, but this just it's been taken to like a whole new level. Like I think there's an innocence that gets lost after mm -hmm. you get diagnosed with something like this where you learn that it doesn't happen to other people and it can happen to you too, right? Mm -hmm. And that whole like preciousness of life and that real like urgency around living your life in the way that you want to. And for me, it's men, I've got like really even more passionate about like what my convictions are. Like I'm quite fired up about the things that I really believe in. Mm. Um, so it's me just like intensified. I love it. <laughs> I love it. That's amazing. I mean, I, I think this is like a crazy story, right? Like, and I, I honestly feel fortunate to talk to you about it because I mean, you hear about these things that people go through shocks in their life and then they kind of reevaluate what's important to them. And I think the way you describe it is just, it's just so nice to listen to. And, and it's something that everyone can, I mean, I don't know if relate to sounds right, but everyone can imagine, you know, obviously it's hard to relate to. I mean, I keep thinking about those 32 days that you had alone in the apartment. Like I cannot imagine what that is like at the beginning of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So Megan, you're a strong woman. I've, I've always uh, looked up to you at Toastmasters. Every time you gave a speech, I was like, oh my God, I'm such a huge fan of, of this woman. And I think, yeah, the way you've handled all of this and have come up, come out stronger and with your own business, doing something that's uncomfortable right after you went through this whole uncomfortable experience for a few months is just admirable and i i love to see it and you seem energetic and i and the way you said you're everything is meek and but intensified is is true and i love it it's it's really good to, to see thank you it was so fun to do this with you payment i'm also i've also been like a big fan of yours so 
when I heard that you had a podcast, I was like, yeah, not surprised. I knew he was going to do some pretty cool things. So to be on this, because we've always had really great discussions. And I think you and I are people that like to go, like, we like to dig under the surface and go a little deeper. Right. So this is a really fun and natural conversation. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your story. Well, you heard what our thoughts are. I would love to hear what's yours. Go to anchor.fm slash that random thought and send us a voice note letting us know what you think.